we had our first honestly slow week of Disney Arcana since the release of the game. There was only one reported event from the weekend, and there I decided to take some time, run the numbers, show off some charts, and discuss the five best decks to date in Disney Arcana's Chapter 1. Let's break into them. Each week I have continued to break down the reported events from the weekends. You can see here there are several different fully released events and the top eights among them with the most successful decks on a given weekend. With that, I was finally able to sit down and put together 104 decks that were reported for top eights for events all over the world. I'm really excited to talk about these today and kind of go through why a given deck is successful and maybe why it's actually some decks aren't more successful. Let's take a look at the entire breakdown of 104 registered top eight decks from all over the world. As you can see here, coming in in the most successful is Ruby Amethyst with 32 top eights. Amber Steel is right behind with 30. And then Amber Sapphire and Emerald Amethyst each have 11. And then trickling in behind them is a bunch of scattered fours and fives. Now, I know it doesn't seem probably to be a shock at all that this is kind of the stats. It's been weekly that we've seen Ruby Amethyst and Amber Steel constantly filling two to three different top eights on different events literally all over the world. We have seen a recent uptick in Amber Sapphire and Emerald Amethyst, which is why they have been able to, you know, kind of claim their fame to the Chapter 1 metagame as well. What I wonder, though, is which of these decks is truly the number five. Which one really can claim that number five spot if there's so many that are in a variety of fours and threes and twos and ones? And then, of course, I start to wonder, well, is it because players like more budget-friendly decks? Uh, if there was less budget-friendly decks, would there be more uh, success of more of the expensive decks? A deck like Amber Sapphire is simply not a cheap deck to pick up and buy, which means there being 11 of them is kind of shocking because not only is it a good deck, but it's also likely underplayed because players simply haven't been able to acquire the cards to even give that deck a full, you know, inspection. Ruby Amethyst, be you know, very early on became the default de facto best deck in the game, and therefore people just kept purchasing Ruby Amethyst cards and over time just kept playing it because of already shown success. But does it really make it the best deck? And Amber Steel has proven time and time again that you can take just about any 60 cards in the combination of inks and find a way to be successful with it as long as you have the core. We're going to break all these things down in this video, and I'm very excited to get into that. Now, let's break into the unsung heroes and the honorable mentions. My honorable mention for this particular list is the Sapphire Emerald uh, Aggressive deck. And this is a very budget-friendly deck as well. As you can see, there are no legendaries in this deck. The most expensive card, I believe, is Cusco, who's sitting around $17 or $18. But everything else here is 10 or less dollars, so it makes it a pretty affordable deck. Now, what makes this deck uh, necessarily worse than its Amethyst counterpart? Well, I think it's recovery. I think this deck is great. I think it does a really fantastic job when you're on the play. However, when you're on the draw, when your mulligans don't go your way, when your hands get clunky, there just isn't enough ways to kind of get out of that. And I think because of it is why we haven't seen more success from a given, uh, you know, in combination of the Emerald Sapphire. Although we have seen three 
three of them make top eight over the last several weeks since its first incarnation, it's still something that we just haven't seen truly break through or break out. And I'm not certain that in chapter one we even will, because even though this is a very cheap and affordable budget deck, there's a better budget deck on this list that is more likely for players to purchase that deck rather than trying to purchase this one. But I did want to give it its honorable mention because I do think it's one of the more underutilized decks uh, in a budget field. I definitely think it's a deck that more players, if you're on a budget list and you're trying to just play the game, this is a pretty great list to pick up and purchase for a really, really nice value. Now, as you saw on the list, there are several ties. So we're going to have to kind of play favorites in a way, but not really. We're going to break down each of these decks in depth as we possibly can and tell you what we think about them moving forward. Steel Sapphire Ramp is a deck that honestly is on the upper echelon of price, and therefore it could be a really good reason why you don't see more of it and see less success. However, it has had its time in the sun and it's had its moments to really show showcase what it's capable of doing. Let's take a look at this list. So this was from this past weekend's event in Chicago and the top eight player to the top eight gamer for the Steel Sapphire Ramp deck. What I find most intriguing about this list is that it's the first time I've seen four of a Plasma Blaster and even a four of Maurice. I do like the addition of the items um, to this list as giving you an alternate way to win. The one thing that I'm genuinely shocked about is that there wasn't an Eye of the Fates. Even just one, I feel like is a great card to, you know, add, add and pick into this. Having your Tomateo be able to swing for four or five lore, having your Bell be able to swing for five or six lore, uh, constantly feels great. All of these other characters are just lit, like like just hanging out. I mean, all of these characters are so top end and heavy. It's a very intriguing list for sure. When you break it down, that there's no Tinker Bells in this in this given list, but with no two drop, three drop at all. It is a very, very different take on the Steel Sapphire ramp, and it's one that we haven't seen much on. There are other versions of this list that are more straightforward, more Mickey Mouse, more Tinkerbell, uh, and all of those things. But this is definitely leaning into a very endgame heavy list and trying to make the best out of cards like Plasma Vester, Fishborn Quill, and A Whole New World to basically power out your best bells possible, along with having Hades and Let It Go for removal, the addition of Smash and Grab Your Swords complements it very well. And this particular list is definitely leaning on Captain Hook uh, thinking happy thoughts as another form of removal as well. Now, this might not be the ver like the most optimized version of this given ink combination, but it was the newest, and I really like to see different things come up to give players different ideas. This is the best part about this data in Chapter 1, is that there are so many different decks that have hit a top 8 that have been successful that we haven't had enough time to fully explore. Maybe you can't get the league every week. Maybe your area doesn't have you know, a high event end of 1Ks or anything like that yet. So when you can see these decks from around the nation and they stand out, those are the best ones to look at because it just gives you the concept of more ideas are possible and successful around the nation. Definitely shout out to this player. Very, very interesting and different type of take on the Sapphire Steel Ramp. And I'll be excited to see if this is a deck that moving forward can maintain success. Ruby Emerald is a list that everyone was very high on for a very long time. It is another list of prime example of budget-friendly for players far and wide. 
Coming in this list, we have Cusco's and John Silver's that will pick up a hefty bill, but everything else is pretty stationary. The concept of playing Genie and Aladdin are both less than 5 or $6 for SRTs. And then, of course, everything else comes in at probably under 3 or $4, except for maybe Hans, who could still be in the 7 or $8 range. But aside from that, there's a very budget-friendly list, and it's very straightforward, and it can just be frustration for your opponent. Having so many frustrating characters to contend with from Tinkerbell on up, you know, Tinkerbell, Pongo, Cusco, Goofy, Genie, John Silver, and of course, going all the way to Aladdin in this particular list, you just have a bunch of very frustrating characters to play against. And it's a wonderful deck for newer players to pick up because it's also a very straightforward gameplay. It's really just play my best guy every turn and exert for lore and see if my opponent can compete with that. And I think that's really important to do when getting into a new game is having decks like this show success and be available for all players that just really want to dip their toes into competitive but not have to think extraordinarily hard for a given turn or a given tournament, specifically when we're playing six and seven rounds, or even in Miami coming up where it's likely to be nine rounds. Before we go any further, if you're enjoying the information, I would really appreciate you hitting that like and hitting that subscribe for me. And let me know in the comments, what's been your favorite deck so far? Is it one of the decks that have been revealed in the top five decks? Let me know. Last week's deck of the week, the wonderful Amethyst Emerald uh, is a deck that constantly keeps getting better and keeps growing in successful numbers. It was in the first top eight of the PPG event in Denver, which showcased 45 players, and Ryan Miles was able to find his way into a top eight with a version of this list. But as the weeks continued, more and more things have grown to showcase for this particular deck. The ability to have now even Maleficent biding her time is probably something that we haven't seen too many of. But this is just another, you know, adaptation of what this deck is powerful doing. And again, coming in at a pretty cheap price with only John Silver's and Cusco's ranging the $15 plus, everything else falls in mostly $8 or less. And a lot of the cards are even $2 or less. This budget-friendly deck is one that we keep consistently seeing have success in events all over the world from far and wide. And I ask this first question. This is the first question that I ask about a deck in this given game. Now, it is absolutely a budget-friendly deck. So I do wonder if budget is the only reason why players are playing this particular deck, or is it a very good possibility that this deck is actually one of the best decks? A lot of times it's hard to truly judge and evaluate reports because you don't know the given local metagame and you don't know the given local players and the situation of their current you know, resources and things like that. From If it's a store that just didn't get a lot of product, you know, an area that didn't get a lot of product, it was harder to find, uh, you know, everything comes into account. So what I wonder is, yes, this is absolutely the best budget deck that you could be playing. However... If the players could choose to play a non-budget deck, would they? That's the question I want to know. And honestly, if you're watching this video and you were one of the players that have had success with this deck, let me know in the comments, is it because the deck is good? Is it because you think it's one of the best decks? It's your best opportunity? Or is it just because it's a budget-friendly deck that is successful, that is easy to pick up and easy to grab? I personally think this deck is good. 
I do think it has a lot of strengths and unfortunately some glaring weaknesses. But its strengths are that it can pull out victories on the draw. On the play, most of the budget decks are all the same. They're very much just lean into Emerald and play to my Emerald like lore gainers and lore batteries and then move on. Amethyst is the only one that when you go second, you have the ability to recover. You have cards like Rafiki um, and the Maleficent and friends on the other side, and like just to kind of break serve where Sapphire and Ruby do not have those things. So I think of the budget decks, this is absolutely the best one and the one that I would suggest to most players to play. But I do wonder again, is it good and successful just because it's the best budget deck or is it capable of truly winning a tournament? We have not seen any reported events that this deck was able to win a tournament. And most of the decks that we have, most of the events that we have heard reported were almost entirely Amber Steel, Ruby Amethyst, never a, an Emerald Amethyst. So that's where I'm curious. I'm curious if this deck is actually good enough to compete with the best decks in the game or if it's just the best budget deck. Let me know in the comments. Now we step away from the budget decks and we look at one of the most expensive decks in the game. Coming in with just a plethora of legendary cards in four ofs. And this particular list that we're looking at does not have Bell, but I have seen versions with Bell also. So when you start to consider that you need 12 plus legendaries, and these are the mo more, some of the more playable legendaries, although ironically, Stitch, Carefree Surfer, has actually been on the cheaper end of them, which is considerable to note that this is a card that has seen success across multiple different decks. And its price still hasn't gone up, so if you don't own a playset of this card yet, it might be a good time to pick them up. The mulligan condition of Mickey Mouse Detective is a key factor in a lot of the games for this deck. Being able to accelerate into turn 5 early, and then utilize cards like Hades or Rapunzel to replenish your, you know, your turn 5 powerhouses and above is a key factor. This particular list does not have more than just the Mickey Mouse for ramp, because it's not playing a Fishbone Quill, it's not playing Bell, it's not playing Grandma Tella, or One Jump Ahead. So it's very much on the, I'm just going to Mickey Mouse on three, and that's okay with me. This is another deck where it's actually the opposite. I wonder that if this deck could be even more successful if more players had the resources to constantly be playing this deck. From a deck that I have been able to watch and play and truly develop over the last couple weeks, this is a pretty, pretty good deck. I think it's been underplayed because it is a pricey, pricey deck. I do wonder as the chapter one ending season is continuing now, as we have a very large weekend coming up for this weekend and then the following weekend with Miami and Apex Gaming's 5K Invitational, we have two really big large events coming. And then there's still a bunch of 1Ks and 1.5Ks and above announced further before chapter two is released. This is the deck that I do wonder will actually have a better second half of Chapter 1 than it did its first half, much like the next deck that we're going to be talking about. Amber Steel, to date, has been the second most successful deck just by a few little bit of numbers to say that. Now, my question is, is this deck actually the best deck in the game? And here's why. You can see that this version here goes all the way up to Carefree Surfer. We have Akuna Matatas. We have You Have Forgotten Me's. We have Hans, 13th in line, uh, and a ranging effects of different things. This version does not play a whole new world. So when you look at this list, and then if we just fast forward one slide, and we see this list, 
these are actually almost two different decks. This deck has, you know, it has Fire the Cannons, it has a whole new world, it has Rockstar Siege, and this version doesn't. It plays a bigger endgame. It plays a, you know, Carefree Surfer. It plays You Forgotten Me. It plays Hakuna Matatas and all things like that. It does not play Rockstar Stitch at all. It doesn't even play Zimba, where this list is very in on Zimba and Aladdin and Prince Eric, where this version is just like, nope, I don't need Zimba. I don't need Aladdin. And I think that this is the key factor here, is that this particular deck and the core of this deck with Ariel, with Rapunzel, um, you know, with Grab Your Swords and Be Our Guest and the songs that you're playing along with and the removal package, you know, with Smash, Fire the Cannons, uh, Tinkerbell, of course. It's just the fact that these are some of the best cards in the game and players are finding out that you can mold this particular deck to your playstyle really easily. I personally think it's the best deck in the game. The numbers don't showcase that, but when it comes to reported wins... This deck has just as much, just as many wins as Ruby Amethyst from events that did conclude. And because of that, I think that's something to say, because obviously we have seen less number of them. And in earlier events where you had only seen one or two of these in a top eight and three or four Ruby Amethyst, this is still the deck that was able to win out. Even going back to last weekend where Nick was able to win an event as well with this list. It's a constant ebb and flow and evolution of this deck from all the way from PPG Denver till Apex Gaming last week to even the event reported this weekend. This list constantly has grown and it has shown that you can play it as aggressive as you want, as mid-range as you want, and even as control as you want. What is the best? I don't have an answer for you. I think it de absolutely depends on your metagame. I think it depends on what you're seeing. And I think it depends on whatever you're predicting. And you can really go and make decisions from that information. But the real cold hard fact is, is that this deck is just really good. And the core to Amber Steel songs is just really powerful. And whatever you do with it after that is just kind of what you feel best about. And it probably is going to be the best deck for you. So as long as you feel comfortable playing the top end of Carefree Surfers and Krunks and you know, even Zimbas and things like that, then I'm sure that version of that deck is still very successful. If you don't like the Rapunzel version or you want to go the more budget route, you're like, I don't have Rapunzel's, then you can play the aggressive steel version that was one PPG Denver. It's a constant ebb and flow of this list and the success that it's brought and the reported from all different events. There are so many versions of this list that look different from one another there's probably like five successful versions of this deck that are all you know 10 or 15 cards different uh from one another which i think is remarkable all in all my favorite deck in the game but let's talk about the most successful deck ruby amethyst came out of the gates in week one with four versions in a top eight or more which is crazy and it really just never slowed down and this deck unlike the others, really haven't evolved much at all. It's been mostly the same 50-ish, 55-ish cards. And then, of course, the players that decide that they need 67 or 70 or 71 cards. Um, the constant flow of this deck has really just always been there. And I think it's actually a detriment to itself. 
whether or not you need brooms and Mickey Mouse. As you can see, this version does not have Mickey Mouse, but it has brooms. Uh, whether or not you need Pocket Watch, as this version decided not to take Pocket Watch. Whether or not Elsa and Ursula are, and Aladdin are good enough to win. Do you need a Mickey Mouse? Do you need Goofy? Do you need Tigger? Um, things like that. How many Rush characters do we need? Do we need four Rafiki? Do we need four Maui? You know, this is a constant change for this deck, and it's the decisions that players are making. And then a card like LeFou in this list stands out because it's not something we've seen a whole ton of uh, across the board, but this player decided, I'm going to play three of them. And of course, the almighty Maleficent and Be Prepared are the end-all be-alls for this deck and the key to true removal, as this deck also opted to not play Dragon's Fire. Ruby Amethyst has been one of the most successful decks. It's won multiple events. It's had multiple events where it's had four, three, five, six numbers in the top eight. This is why it's the most successful deck in chapter one. Now, my honest question, do you think it's the best deck? I don't. I actually would tell you that if I were going into an event this weekend, if I were playing in a 1K or I were playing in a 1.5K, this is not the deck that I would sleeve up. It's actually like the fourth deck that I would sleeve up. There's three other decks that I would much rather play before I play this one, and it's for multiple reasons. One, I do think the Kings and the Armor have been shown. I think there are multiple decks in the field that really prey on this deck now, and the real fact is because of how weak Ruby truly is, you don't have a way to really mold your deck differently and change your strategy. Unlike Steel Sapphire, or I'm sorry, Steel Amber, that has the ability to play all sorts of versions of itself and mid-range and control and aggro, this deck doesn't. You're really just being a more repetitive version of itself depending on the cards that you put in it. And because of that, it's predictable. And predictable is not necessarily a good thing unless it's the most powerful thing. And it's starting to show that this is not the most powerful thing. Early on, it was an adaptation that players came around to it. And the first reported event had six of them. The second reported event had three of them. And it was just like, oh, the de facto best deck is this one. But as the weeks continued, we've seen less and less. And we definitely have seen more and more success from other decks, such as Emerald Amethyst, such as Amber Sapphire, and of course, the ever-growing Amber Steel versions. What I think is very interesting about this particular list and the evolution of it is that it, there wasn't one. There just simply isn't enough for this deck to continue to evolve and really make decision points for it. So for my money, I would not be buying Ruby Amethyst. I would be choosing any of the other decks that I showcased actually before this one because I do think that it has the number one target on it the mirror matches are honestly miserable. They're not fun. And your matchups against some of the other decks in the game just aren't very good. Specifically, if you lose die rolls. Losing die rolls with this deck isn't very fun either, explicitly when players have figured out the scripts against you. Lots of things that I think were really just over the moon early on in the set where players adapted to this really quickly. Uh, it had a lot of early success, and then people just kind of went with it in the early months. In the first three weeks, this had a ton of top eights, but in the last three weeks, it's had a lot less than the top eights, and I think that's just because you're seeing that players are adapting and realizing that this deck is, although it's 
you know, consistent and successful, it's not the best thing you can be doing. And that's just my takeaway. Let's look at the overall ink advantages from the 104 decks. Rather than doing the traditional ink rankings, I just wanted to showcase the list of the numbers overall. You can see here that Amethyst and Amber both have 48 decks in the top eight of 104 reported decks. Seal came in at 39 and Ruby came in at 37. However, 32 of those Ruby decks were from the Ruby Amethyst, which means he only came in for five more outside of that. Emerald and Sapphire are both sitting down in the 20 and 21 area, so they're both pretty low. All in all, I think it's really been interesting. I think we're going to see more and more decks be more successful. And I think that as a looking at Chapter 1, which I will do again right before Chapter 2, so if you enjoy the breakdowns like this, look for this same video in about five weeks. Um, I think it's one of the more diverse metagames than I have ever played in for a new game having the concept of six or seven decks that you know for any given saturday any given sunday have the ability to top eight and win an event is exciting um putting in the factor that product is scarce and not a lot of players really committed to playing multiple decks is also something to take into note a lot of times you're able to purchase you know your play set and then adapt and move forward as the events come through and the information comes through but that might not necessarily be true whereas you might have played in two or three events already and you played basically the same deck with some minor upgrades or minor changes and i think that that's a lot to note as well so all in all i think the chapter one metagame for disney larkana has been wonderful i think it's been a lot of success i think there's a lot of diversity and i think that's all really incredible to consider you know in a brand new game uh my hats off to Robinsberger, you know, really being successful in creating this level of diversity for the first set with only 204 cards is honestly very impressive. All in all, if you enjoyed this video today, please hit that like button, hit that subscribe, and check the description if you want to join the Discord where we release all of these deck lists weekly as soon as we find them. Thanks again so much, and we'll catch you in the next video.